John chapter 6, verse 33. I'm reading out of the 1966 Pearl Satterwhite King James edition. Uh, this is my grandmother's Bible that I don't think I've ever preached out of because it's one of those fragile deals. It was passed on down to me. And, man, when you turn the pages, you could just smell the smoke because it's just fire, man. Um, it's got my grandma's notes in here. And, and man, she was just a Holy Spirit-filled woman of God. So I'm going to preach out of it today. But John chapter 6 and verse 33. <clears throat> and it's funny. Her name was Pearl. Her husband's name, my grandfather, was Earl. <laughs> Wait. They had three sons named Larry, Jerry, and Gary. My grandparents on my father's side, my grandpa Riggs was Burrell, and his twin brother was Durrell. So I missed it somewhere. I should have named you Coco and Josiah Toto, you know, and just, I missed I miss the legacy, you know, I missed it, Mom. I missed it. The girls' names don't rhyme, but the, the boys' names do. But um, God's good. Amen. John chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus speaking, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Yes. Read that again. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Today I'm going to preach from a, a, a thought that I was going to preach on adoption, and Friday I came in here and got along with God, and he moved me to this. And it's funny because I haven't talked to Shane since he got back from Florida, and they sang at the table today. Um, and, 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 and I'll be real honest with you, uh, last night was a terrible night in our home. Um, Seth and Katie, we've been really been up since about 3 a.m., and um, we got here, and there was a gas leak, and I was like, man, if I get a chance to preach this word, this is going to be spot on. And just worship confirmed it. So you're in the right place this morning. God has a word for you. Uh, you're going to leave here better than the way you came in. And he wants to move in this place. Amen. So the, the thought going into this message is a table for two. A table for two. Father in heaven, your presence is overwhelming. God, it never ceases to amaze me, Lord, what you can do. Father, we love you, Lord. And I just pray. God, that you would remove myself, Lord. As Paul said, I do not come with man's wisdom, God, but I come filled with the Holy Spirit. God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, through this message. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. A table for two. And when I think about a table for two, if you go to the restaurant and you make reservations, if, you're, if you've got a table for two, there's something that needs to be talked about. There's some time that needs to be spent together. Uh, there needs to be a central focus on one another. There needs to be something that you're bringing to the table that you're not going to be distracted. You're not going to have all these things pulling you. And how many of you know that you, we sing we sing the song this morning, you hear it in the scripture a lot preached, but there's not a table in the world like sitting down at the feet of Jesus, sitting at the table of Christ. We have been assigned seats at this angelic table. Every one of us, if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you have an assigned seat at the table of the Lord, meaning that there's a table set up by God himself for you to go to at any moment, any time of your life, to sit and just to be in awe of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You hear me use the phrase a lot, breaking the bread. And, and we know in the scripture, when they broke the bread at the table, they immediately knew who they were sitting with. 
breaking the bread of the word of God. So I'm encouraged today that, that, that we have a, a table that we can come to and sit. Amen. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 29. Jesus speaking again. Verse 29. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones. Sit on thrones. Jesus himself said it to his disciples and he says it to us. I have set up a table that me and you can sit down and commune with one another. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that you don't have to wait in line to sit at the table? I don't know about you, but I've made reservations before, and we still had to wait even after we made reservations. Right. Or you get the, aren't you glad Jesus ain't into the little Chili's flashing thing that you get, and then you're like, Jesus, I'm going to take one of these. When it flashes, you come see me. Jesus says, my table is set for you whenever you want it. Right. Whenever, it doesn't matter how busy I am. It doesn't matter how many conflicts that I'm up against. It doesn't matter how many prayer requests that I'm taking upon myself. It doesn't matter how many things are being laid at my feet. I will stop and I will come sit at that table and dine with you. Y'all got to get a hold of that church family because we live in a crazy society. A society that is nonstop. It's never ending. Notice the things that are being created. Notice the gadgets that are being continually created. Notice the things that are being manufactured. Notice, they're all fast-paced things. They're all for you to be in a hurry. They're all for you to what's next? What's the next greatest thing? Notice that there wasn't just one app created. There was a billion apps created. Amen? One phone's not good enough. We got to have the iPhone 7 and the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 83. If we live long enough and Jesus doesn't come back, we'll be having iPhone 100s. So it's always fast-paced, and it's always up-to-date. And Jesus just says, stop. I have a table set up for you. I have a reservation for two in my presence. Amen? I love the Old Testament. Turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. Scripture gives us many examples of sitting at the table of kings and, and, and teachers and, and, and priests and these mighty men and women of God and what that represented Notice in the scripture that, that the table is brought up a lot. Dinner time is brought up a lot. Why is dinner time brought up a lot? Why is sitting at a table brought up so much in scripture? Because it's a big deal for Christ. It's a big deal for us to sit down because if you're like my family, you know, I remember going to Pastor Brown's house and we just had two kids and you go to their house and they'd have like 47 chairs. It looked like a camp in their dining room because there's just chair after chair after chair. At the Riggs house, there was four chairs. Now, if you come to the Riggs house, there's 11 chairs. But with, with God and with the Old Testament, when they would sit at the table, man, that meant something. That meant that they were stopping. That meant that they were listening. And especially in the Old Testament, that meant that whoever was speaking, man, it was wisdom. It was powerful. It was authoritative. It was something that was going to point them in the right direction. And in Exodus chapter 24, an amazing reservation took place. Exodus chapter 24, look at verse 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. So 74 people had a reservation with God. Verse 10. 
And they saw the God of Israel. Get that. They saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also, they saw God and did eat and they drank. Wow. What an awesome picture that the scripture gives us. What an awesome picture. 74 men of God seated with him and eating and drinking at a supernatural table. What a revelation of glory that must have been. What a revelation of glory it must have been to sit at the table with God. And how many of you know, you might, some of y'all might have to go way, way, way back because I don't want you to get in trouble with your spouses. But maybe you've been on a date and you got reservations and you sit there and it really wasn't a two-way conversation because that person like dominated the conversation and you left the restaurant and you were like, I just made reservations for one, really, because that, that was not, there was no dialogue there. I mean, they just ran the conversation. I was just so, I, I didn't have a chance to say anything and thank God my wife's not like that. Um, she might say the th thing about me that, that she don't get a word in, but, but with God, he communes with us. He wants to hear us. He wants to commune with us. And with the 74, what an awesome picture that must've been to be sitting around the table with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. A royal table also was maintained by the Kings of Israel. And it was a great honor to be assigned a seat at this table. It was there the King shared his wisdom and glorious intimacy. I love that word. Opening his heart to all who were seated with him. Let's look at it. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 27. Israel's first three kings gives us great examples of sitting at the table. You have Saul, you have David, you have Solomon. And all three of them give us great examples of sitting at the table. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 27. We know the story, Saul and David. The cat and mouse game that they played. This is a critical point in their relationship. David knows, Saul's not, David knows that Saul is up to no good. David has established this relationship with Jonathan, his son, and they form like this best friend situation. What a tough moment that must have been for all three parties. But Saul's sitting at the table, the king's table. And the Bible says, and it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. Everybody say empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? Now, we understand the context of that scripture. It wasn't because David was being just utterly rebellious and defiant to the king. It was because the king was jealous and wanted to kill David. But we could take a little lesson out of this thought of, of imagining the king at the table and he set up a chair for someone to show up. And time after time after time, the next minute go by, the next hour goes by, and they don't show up what that must have been like. And that makes me reflect and think about, obviously, it's a different relationship in that moment from Saul to David to us and Jesus. But don't we do that to Jesus a lot? Jesus says, I'm here, I'm waiting, I'm at the table. Where is so-and-so? Where is John? Where is, where is Stacy? Where are they at? I've set them up a place. They have a specific place for me. Where are they at? Imagine the, what Saul must have felt like in that moment. But more importantly, imagine what Jesus feels like day after day after day after day when the seat just sits empty for multiple reasons. We all have excuses. I have more excuses than anybody else. 
time. I'm busy. I'm too busy. I have this. I have six children. I have this job. My wife has this. We have this. And Jesus is the whole time sitting at the table and he's saying, why is the seat empty? He wants to be intimate with us daily. He wants to sit down at the table and break the bread, break the word daily. Not just, you know, the Bible doesn't say yearly. It doesn't say every five years. It doesn't speak in like festival terminology, but it'll say daily. Daily I sat at the table and daily I broke bread with the father, amen? The second king, David. What a beautiful story this is and another representation of Jesus in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles, or excuse me, Second Samuel chapter nine, verse seven. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse seven. I love when I read the Old Testament and when I get a hold of a certain set of verses, it's just like I'm in the middle of the Gospels, Dr. Brassfield. It's like I can see Jesus in 1 Samuel just as clearly as I can see him in John. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake. sake. We know the story of Mephibosheth. He's broken down. He's maimed, and nobody wants him. Nobody wants to invite him to their house. He's crippled. And David says, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. When David's speaking to Mephibosheth, that's Jesus speaking to you and me. What the world sees is broken down. What the world sees is hurt. What the world sees is battered. They don't want you at their table. He said, come to my table. I have a seat for you. But not only will I have a seat for you, I'll put you in the front row. I'll put you closest to me, Jesus says. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? But once again, once again, so many times, day after day after day, the seat sits empty. And Jesus is still at the table. Jesus says, I'll take anybody. I'll take Jew and Gentile. I'll take anybody. I'll take the broken. I'll take the maimed. I'll take the lame. I'll take the people that have leprosy. I'll take the prostitutes. I'll take all the sinners. I want them at my table. What other God says that? What other God says that? There's only but one, and that's Jesus Christ. Third king in the Old Testament that referenced the table. Solomon, 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 4. The queen of Sheba is amazed by what's going down with Solomon and the things that God's doing in Solomon's life. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 4, she's amazed by everything that's been built. She's amazed by the organization. She's amazed by the detail. She's amazed by the splendor. There's nothing boring about the table of God. There's nothing dry and, and dreary about the, the God's table. When you sit, at God's table, and you commune with the Father. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. You thought the fireworks last night was awesome. Sit at the table of Jesus daily. Sit at the table of Jesus daily. But the Queen of Sheba in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 4, she said the food on this table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters in their apparel, it blows my mind. His cupbearers in their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. Man, if you'll approach the table of God daily, it will be extravagant. You say, well, you mean a literal table? I'm not, listen, it could be your kitchen table. It could be at your office. It could be your bed at home. But when you sit down alone and you get into the word of God, you are sitting across from the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's not that you'll be extravagant necessary with the actual table, but you'll be extravagant with Jesus. Amen. The Holy Spirit, that feeling that you felt about 25 minutes ago, that was extravagant. 
Man can't work that up. If we could work it up, we'd package it and be millionaires. But we can't work it up. Sometimes, some Sunday mornings, it'll feel a little different. Some Sunday mornings, we can't understand that, explain it. But we know when it happens, man, it's extravagant. It never fails. People, we're very community-oriented, and we know a lot of people in the community. We have a lot of friends at other churches. In the benevolent ministry, I get to meet a lot of broken people. But they all say the same thing when they come into the presence of the Lord. They come into our service. They'll say, wow, it just felt different. It felt different. It felt different because we sit at the table with Christ. We sit at the table with Christ. We're not enamored by sitting at the table with men or women. We're enamored by sitting at the feet of Jesus. Amen? So the Old Testament gives us plenty of references. But I want to go back to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. And the Apostle Paul has already been mentioned. You're talking about somebody who wanted reservations at Jesus' table and was not satisfied with reservations at anybody else's table. He wanted to be at Jesus' table. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. Not with old leaven. Listen, I know some of us have had those moments where we sit at the table with Jesus and it was just like, it'll stick in our head forever. But Jesus loves moments, but he loves lifestyle. He wants those moments to be everyday moments. He doesn't want those, he doesn't want to do something great in your life at a certain point and then for you to feed off that the rest of your life. He wants to have those moments every single day. I try to teach and, and, and I've failed at times in youth ministry uh, because there's been students that have come through our ministry and, 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 and the highlights will be this camp or this conference where God did something, but I'll never see that happen outside of that or I'll never hear them talk about. And I'm afraid that as a church in general in America, we've kind of established that kind of culture where the only time to sit at the table with Jesus is when there's a bunch of people there or when there's a bunch of lights or when there's a bunch of hoopla, and just not my God. My God shows up in them moments, but my God shows up at 6 o'clock in the morning before I, when I wake up before everybody else in my house does, except for last night. Amen? Paul was saying here, always show up. Never let it be said your seat is empty. Never let it be said your seat is empty. Because when you leave your seat empty, it's nobody else's fault. It's not the church. We've got people... We've got people that'll spend their whole lifetime finding a good church. There's no such thing as a perfect church because the church is people and people are broken and they're sinners in need of something. They're in need of a savior. Listen to me. If you're a visitor, if you're someone looking, there's no such thing as a perfect church. But you need to find a church where you feel like every time you step into the doors that you're sitting at the table of the master. You need to find that church that is very intentional about making reservations with Jesus Christ every time they come together. Amen? Church family, I want to be that church. And I believe we are one of those churches. I'm not trying to single us out and say we're the church because we're not. But I believe we're one of those churches, Larry. 
because I don't want to compromise on prayer. You know, pastor was talking about that last week, how we've come together and we were talking about our Sunday nights. And I thank God that we haven't compromised on that. I thank God we haven't compromised on our Pentecostal heritage. Because when, when, you, when you respect your Pentecostal heritage, when you respect the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when you respect those moments to, to get on your face before God as a church fellowship and pray and call upon the name of Jesus, you're sitting at the table with him. And don't get me wrong, I love life groups. I, and, and we got a lot of momentum going right now. If you're looking for a church, it's a great church. We got a lot of great classes coming up, a lot of uh, uh, basic principles that we're teaching, things that are going on right now. We're going to continue to do those things. But, but those things don't always equal sitting at his feet. What equals sitting at his feet and sitting at his table is when we pray. When we come to a prayer meeting, we break bread of the communion. Come on, somebody. When you can get on your face before God under a chair and begin to call upon the name of the Lord and then get up and you come to this place. It's a special time on Sunday nights. We'll come together and it's not fancy. We just come together and we're like, who needs prayer? And all of a sudden we just begin to pray and call upon the name of Jesus. We're sitting at the table. We're sitting at the table. Amen. I'm full this morning, church family. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. But I know that that Holy Spirit is only found at his table. We have become way too busy to sit at his table. I love David Wilkerson, mighty man of God. Passed away in 2010. David Wilkerson said this. He said, we do more and more for a Lord whom we know less and less. We do more and more for a Lord we know less and less, and that's so true. And when I read that, I began that to relate to our family. Because we do a lot. We do a lot. Because we totally believe in, in the scripture in James where it says, faith without action is dead. We want to be active. I want to roll into heaven. I don't want to roll into heaven with a tan. I don't want to roll into heaven just coming off of a, of a, a six-month hiatus in Florida. I want to roll into heaven just worn out, ragged out, baby slobber all over my shirt, just worn out. But unfortunately, that can get you into trouble. Remember what he said. People that do more and more, but they know God less and less. I'll be honest with you, church family. We could not do what we're doing if we didn't sit at the table with Jesus Christ. I couldn't do it. I'd pull my hair out. But I thought, it's hard. I'll be really transparent with you. It's a battle. It's a battle. And there's days where I'll look at her and I say, babe, I can't do it anymore. She'll look at me, not crying, but she'll look at me and say, I can't do it anymore. I can't. Six is enough. Three is enough. Four is enough. Five is enough. We can't do it anymore. But then I'll go and sit down at the table with Jesus, and I'll lock myself in, and I'll shake that off, and I'll agitate the anointing, and I'll come out of there feeling like a spiritual superman because I've been at the table with Jesus, because I know Jesus. I don't just do for Jesus. I know Jesus. Be careful for doing so much for Jesus that you don't even know who he is. Be careful doing stuff to get a trip to the kingdom. If you don't know him, what does it matter if you do something for him? You got to know the father. You got to know him personally. You got to know him intimately. And if you don't sit at the table, you'll wear out. You'll wear out. You'll wear out. Mary versus Martha, we know the story. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was just busy doing good things, doing the food pantry, working the nursery, helping an ISM, going on missions trips. But Mary knew Jesus in that moment. 
She said, I'll shut everything down and sit at your feet. I'll sit at the feet of Jesus. I don't care what's going on. I don't care how many posts and likes I've got on Facebook. I don't care how many, I don't care what's going on on Fox News. I don't care what's going on in the city. I'll shut it down to be at the feet of Jesus and break the bread of God to get that revelation, to get that strength. Church family, we give our time so generously to eat at the table of his enemies. You know, it's redundant as a pastor, and if you've been around here long enough, you're like, oh, here he goes again, but I'll keep saying it. It's getting worse and worse because what we do is we come up with more excuses. We come up with more excuses. That's why we can't sit at the table with Jesus. Well, I don't have time. I've got this. I've got everybody's busy, and everybody's got a story, and everybody works, and everybody's got kids. Let's just get past that and understand that if we don't come to the table and break the bread with Jesus, you'll never get that revelation. You don't think Paul had things going on? You don't think Paul had things going on when he had that revelation on Damascus Road? But he went away for three years in Arabia and Damascus, and he was at the table with Jesus. And he got that revelation. That's where the revelation took place. It wasn't the doing. It wasn't the doing. It was the knowing that where he got the revelation. Amen? That's a good word right there. Some of us, and I've been there, some of us, you do, 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 and you don't know anything about Jesus. There's no intimacy there. There's no true love affair there with Jesus Christ. Because we've abandoned our seat, we've left our seat empty. Real quick, there's three things that will hold our reservation for two daily. Everybody say daily. 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 It will hold our reservation for two daily. Uh, we just got on talking about with the teenagers and, 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 and idols. Go back and read the Old Testament and how, how idols was such a big deal. And it was such a stench in the nostrils of God. And it really didn't necessarily depend on what kind of idol it was. If it took focus of a Jesus who was an idol and he didn't want nothing to do with it. And we're so eat up with stuff these days. We're so eat up. And once again, it could be good things, but we're so eat up with our phones and with, with who's doing what and whose family's on vacation. And we're so eat up with how many likes do I've got. And we're so eat up with taking pictures of ourselves. We're so eat up, and I'm just using it as an example. I'm not saying it's bad. But we'll spend all that time investing in this stuff and we'll leave the seat empty. And then when all hell breaks loose, we wonder why we don't have any power. We wonder why we're weak. And we wonder why we have to go and get a man or a woman's help in this time of need. We don't go to Jesus first anymore. We don't go to Jesus first. All hell's breaking loose in my home, Jesus. I'm here. You're the first one I run to. We don't do that anymore. We run to the counselor. We run to the preacher. We run to the next book. We run to this. We run to that. Instead of sitting at the table knowing this is where we're going to get it fixed. Husband, wife, you will not get it fixed until you come to the table. Parents, you won't get that relationship fixed until you come to the table. You shut everything off. What in my life right now is a distraction? God, I need to rid myself of it. I need to rid myself of it. Three things that will hold your reservation for two daily. The first thing is this, having a revelation of the vastness of Christ. Having a revelation of the vastness of Jesus Christ. You cannot go into battle in this world where demons rule virtually uncontested unless you are committed to having an ever-increasing revelation of Christ's power and glory. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, Paul said. Oh, by revelation he made known to me the mystery. The mystery, the vastness of Almighty God. Do you really know how big God is? Do you really know how big the King of kings is and the Lord of lords? 
Man, I deal with people all the time that are so empty, and it's just, it's dry bones. It's, I had a dad come in the door the other day, and I've dealt with him and his wife for probably three years now, and they've got two children. And he said, I've had it. And he said, I think she's on meth. I wanted her to come in here to talk to you, but now she's running down the road with the kids. And he looked at me and said, I don't want the kids anymore. It's a dark, evil place we live in right now, church family. It's a dark and evil place. People don't know the vastness of God. There's even churches, there's even Christians that don't believe that, that the, the spirit of meth can be broken. He can fix a broken marriage. He can fix your situation. He can fix addiction. He can fix all those things. You just need to realize the vastness. And when you realize the vastness of God, your reservation will be there every single day. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul speaking again. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to this. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access. Boldness and access, get that church family, boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul said, you have access to his vastness. Think about that church family. Think about that. You have access every day you wake up in the morning. I don't care what kind of hell you've been through. You have access to a revelation of who God really is. And you don't need no church. You don't need no church program. You don't need no ministry in that moment. You don't need no preacher. You don't need anybody but the table to realize and get that revelation. That's when the church is going to explode. When people get a revelation at home and then they come to the church. Oh, I just wish it was like this and I wish it was like that. Get the job done at home and it will be. Come ready, come prepared. Come fill with the Holy Ghost. Come fill with the Holy Spirit and power that you can only get at his feet. And understand that Paul said you have access to the vastness. Well, he can do that and she can do that. You've got access. And if you deny that access, that's on you. Same thing as me. It's on us. It's not on anybody else. Well, you don't know my story. Once again, everybody has a story. Everybody's got a story. We get that. But we have access to the vastness of Almighty God. And when we realize that we have access to that, that's really become my, I, I used to counsel uh, couples and, and people and kind of steps and all this stuff. And this is really the one thing other than finances that I'll just bring up and be like, listen, you're going to have to establish a moment where you and Jesus come together. Not you and your wife or you and your husband. We'll get to that. But you need to come daily and break bread with the Father. That's where your revelation is going to come from. Amen. The second thing we need to do <clears throat> to hold our reservations for two, keeping ourselves around intensive preaching and teaching. You got to keep yourself around intensive preaching and teaching. I thank God in heaven that you could check that 
off of our list here at this church. If you've been around this church for any length of time, we don't shy away. If you've been around this church at any length of time, we're not afraid to hit the things that a lot of people don't want to talk about. But you got to keep yourself pure and you got to keep yourself prepared and ready outside of the church. What are you listening to? What are you watching? Keep yourself around intensive preaching. Listen, I'm all about uh, uh, preaching that it, it, it love and kindness and all those things. But man, you need to listen to somebody preach about the Holy Ghost. You need to listen to somebody preach about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need to listen to somebody preach about repentance and sanctification and holiness. All these things where this whole generation, we've kind of backed off of it and been like, man, them people were crazy. It's a new day. Well, it is a new day, but those people weren't crazy. They just knew what it meant to sit at the table with Jesus and break bread with the Father. They weren't afraid to be around intensive, challenging preaching and teaching. We need to be challenged as the church. We need to be awakened as individuals to wake up and see what's going on. The enemy is running rampant in our city. The enemy is going crazy in our city. And we need to be around people, as I tell the teenagers, that are willing to tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. We're a baby country. I love our country. But we're a baby society. We are. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching good. I'm preaching the truth. We're a baby society. We want to be coddled. We want to be pet. And once again, everybody's got a story. I understand that. Well, you don't understand my story. No, I don't understand your story because I didn't walk in your shoes. You don't understand my story. Okay? Yeah, my dad died too. I lost a brother to AIDS. I, I, I see a lot of stuff. I get a story too. But we got to get ourselves off of our story. And focus on what God has called us to do. And focus on, as Paul said, you've got access no matter what your story is. You've got access no matter what your story is. You've been saved for one week. You've got access to the vastness of the Almighty God. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to be a theologian. You've got access. My daughter, four-year-old daughter, Lily, has got access to the Heavenly Father. That girl knows more scripture than her daddy does. She's got access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And she's four. I don't want her to grow up and say, oh, I got a story. Yes, she's got a story, a story of redemption. But I want her to be able to sit down at the table and know who her father is. Go to Jeremiah chapter 2. There was a time, there were several times in, in Israel where they weren't obedient. And it was a sad time. And you'll read a lot about that in Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He's got a big heart. And a lot of things are going wrong. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. Hath the nation changed their gods, which are not yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. And one of the reasons that is about our culture is because we don't put ourselves in intensive teaching moments and preaching moments. We don't like to be challenged. My God, if I wasn't challenged over these last few years, there's no telling where I would be. But I thank God that I put myself around men and women that challenged me, and I still do that today. They challenge me. They challenge me. Acts chapter 17. You want to talk about intensive preaching? Let's read it. 
Acts chapter 17. My heart is full, church family. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Paul speaking on Mars Hill to the Areopagus. It's a council of Greek philosophers in Athens. And he doesn't give them five points to happiness and he doesn't give them six points to a better marriage. And he doesn't say, go over here and talk to this guy and that girl or that doctor and this philosopher. Listen to what he tells them. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear these again. But so Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave to him and believed. I would say that's pretty intensive preaching from a mighty man of God who said, I do not come in man's wisdom. I do not come with what the culture is teaching me, but I come with the power of the Holy Spirit. And come hell or high water, I will sit at his feet daily and I will repent. Church family, I got to repent every day. I come from an old school Pentecostal background. I get saved every day. I got to repent every day and I'm okay with that because we're broken. We're sinners in need of a savior. We've got to put ourselves around intensive preaching and teaching. I'm hard on my boys. If you've been around me, I'm hard on my boys. And especially in these times, you've got to be hard on your boys. You've got to be intense. There's a reason after and ISM was created in 2002, I wasn't here yet. There's a reason that after uh, 15 years, it's still called Intense Student Ministries for a reason. And that reason is, is I want the teenagers to hear the uncomparable power, effective ministry of Jesus Christ. You've got to put yourself around intensive preaching and teaching. The third thing, the third thing that will keep you reservations at a table for two is gaining an increase of Christ's life within. Paul said in Galatians 1 and 16, Christ was being revealed in him, not just to him. Paul said Christ was being revealed in him and not just to him. Did you get that? 
Some of the best preaching in the world will come from this pulpit. It'll not be from me. It'll be from our senior pastor. And he's preaching to us. But there's, and, and I'll speak for him. There, there's not an ounce in his body that doesn't uh, want you to just walk out here and be satisfied with that. He wants you to go home with that and apply it to you. He wants Jesus to be revealed in you and not just to you. You got to take what we give you here Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, ISM, Amplify, Adults, Marriage Class, Dave Ramsey Class, whatever we teach you, you got to take over here and you got to go. And you got to create a place in your home where you sit down and you just digest it all. You just digest it all. Why, why are you always on fire? Why are you always talking about Jesus? Because we go home and digest it. I don't just sit up at the church and get all my, get all my Jesus time. I go home and get my Jesus time. I sit at the table with the master and he reveals himself to me. The increase is found at the table. The increase is found at the table. The increase is not found in another program. The increase is not found in another really good looking church that you kind of feel part of the social club with. The increase is found at the table. And then when the increase is found at the table, you come to the house of the Lord, it looks different. It smells different. Things are just different. Why? Because you're breaking bread with the Father before you even stepped into the house of the Lord. Table for two. Shana, I want you guys to come back up. It's so funny they sang that song. At the table. Didn't talk to him. Didn't text him. Once again, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul speaks of the three years after his conversion that he just sat at the table. Think about it. In Acts chapter 9, what an unbelievable moment. A revelation of revelations on the Damascus road. Something like scales fell from his eyes. But he wasn't satisfied with that. He wasn't satisfied with that. We can't be satisfied with, this, with our spiritual journey so far because there's so much more. Remember his vastness. You can't be satisfied with that moment. It can be every day. It can be every day. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, in spite of having, sorry, it says, his soul cried out, oh, that I might know him. You'll find him at the table. That's when you'll get to know him. When you open up the scriptures, it's redundant, but I say it again. We are a biblical, illiterate society. Bad, really bad, really bad. There's a lot of leaders in churches around our city that, that couldn't tell you the gospels from the beginning of the Old Testament because we've just settled for doing instead of knowing. We've lost that. What does it mean to know Jesus? What does it mean to lay in bed at five in the morning after your two babies have screamed and yelled and just sit and say, okay, God, I'm gonna sit at your table. I'm gonna sit at your table and I'm gonna get renewed. I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna quit. Meth is, is running rampant in our city, but I'm not gonna quit. There's things that I've seen and heard that I'll be honest with you, church family. Once again, if I don't sit at this table, I will go crazy. 
And Dr. Brassfield will say the same thing, and pastor will say this. Anybody that's been a pastor, you'll hear things that if you just tried to, to uh, accept it or, or receive it or download it yourself, just your characteristics, you would go crazy. I would be in the loony bin if I didn't sit at the table after the last 15 years of stuff that I've heard, after the stuff that I've just heard the last two weeks and saw with my own eyes. When you see a daddy come in, and he looks you in the eyes and says, I don't want my kids anymore. I've had it. I pulled my hair out. I'm done with them. And his wife's on meth. What do you do with that as a preacher? What do you do with that as a Christian? Next week, we're going to Kansas to take Lily and Prue to their biological family. And I'm going to stand in the midst of a picnic with their biological dad. I've seen him one time in the last three years. What am I going to do? I'm going to sit at the table. I'm going to sit at the table and I'm going to get a revelation. God's looking for people to sit at his table. He's there every time, every second, every day, every minute, every time you fight with your spouse, every time you doubt yourself, every time you question this crazy world, he's there waiting. We got to turn off the TV. We got to turn off the phones. We got to. That's a false sense of hope. Hope found at the table. And there's a generation, not just in the foster care world, but there's a generation of teenagers, man. They're dying. Because they don't know what it means to sit at the table. Even some of the Christian kids, they don't know what it means to sit at the table because their mom and dad is too busy doing and doing and doing instead of knowing. There's a reason that this says that it will never change and it's all we need, and that it's all powerful. And there's a reason that Jesus himself said, I got to get away and sit at the table with dad. John chapter 6, and I'm done. John chapter 6, verse 53. <laughs> The great revivals in the last hundred years, study them out. The great revivals in the last hundred years happened at places where they sit at the feet of Jesus in advance. I remember hearing the youth pastor from the Brownsville revival said, you have no idea what we did two years before that revival broke out. We would sit at the table daily. I believe a great revival is going to break out in this city. But it's going to be the remnant people that sit at the table first. Before they try to go get the ABCs of this program and the ABCs of a new church building and the ABCs of this and the ABCs of that, they must sit at the table first. John chapter 6, verse 53. 
Jesus speaking. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. There's too much pain in this world when there's a living God sitting at the table offering what he offers. There's too much pain in this city for a living God that's sitting at a table ready to pour out in your life all that he has, all the vastness that he has. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. They're going to sing this song that we sing just a while ago in just a moment. But I'm going to ask you to come to the table, the altar, right now, everybody. If you can, come to the table. Come to the table. And they're going to begin to sing this. And I just want you to lift your hands if you can. Come on, let's sit at the table just for a few moments. Let's sit at the table.